there was a competition for the strangest, weirdest story in the Bible. And uh, I had to choose some contenders for it. I think one of them would have to be this passage from Numbers 21, where Moses and the people of, uh, of Israel, the Hebrew people, are, are in the desert. They're on the way from Mount Sinai to the Promised Land. And if you know anything about that passage of the Hebrew people's history, uh, there was a lot that didn't go to plan mostly because of the attitudes of the Hebrew people. And so in this particular instance, they're whinging and complaining. Uh, they're saying that they actually want to go back to Egypt. They're rebelling against Moses and his leadership. And it, and it tells the story in Numbers 21 of God uh, as an act of judgment sending, uh, depends what uh, translation you're using, but either fiery serpents uh, or poisonous snakes amongst the Hebrew people and biting them and, and many of them becoming ill to the point of death. And so it says that uh, Moses received instruction from God at this point to uh, make a snake, this is verse 8, and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten, God says to Moses, can look at at the snake and they will live. So it says that Moses made a bronze snake and he put it up on a pole. And then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. Now, what do you do with that? In fact, uh, we've got Chris Magnuson doing communion this morning at Cornerstone. And uh, he said he'd have a look at the, the, the verses from the lectionary and, um, and perhaps she's one of them to to lead us around the Lord's Supper. And uh, the reading from John references this strange event. And actually, this Numbers reading, this this reading from the book of Numbers about this incident is there too. And so Chris called me and he's like, you don't want me to talk about the snake stuff, do you? And um, I said, yep, probably not. Chris, because uh, it is some weird stuff, and uh, who exactly knows what to do with it? Well, if you've got some questions about the snake stuff, uh, I'm not going to go into it too deeply right here, but um, just a reminder that you could um, zoom in tomorrow night at, at 8 p.m., and if you've got a question about why a bronze snake on a pole, uh, I can perhaps give you an answer that's no less satisfying <laughs> than some of the other ones that are around there. Anyway, uh, you can find the Zoom link um, on the church website's calendar for a sermon discussion. Weird snake story. Um, it's interesting that in John's Gospel uh, that, that John uses uh, this story as a way of kind of leading into what might be uh, the most famous passage of Christian scripture. And um, as I said, it, it's in the lectionary this morning. I'm going to read it for us before just sharing a couple thoughts on the passage. So we're talking about John 3, 14 here to 21. And uh, I'm going to kick right off and uh, get straight into the potential weirdness. So it says this, just as Moses 
lifted up the snake in the desert. So the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been through God, that what he has done has been through God. I don't know if you've ever connected that strange snake story with that most famous of passages, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. There might be some good reasons why you haven't connected them, because the snake story is weird, but here John connects these things. And if there's one thing that is clear amongst the challenge of this story uh, of Moses lifting up this snake on a pole so that those who are bitten by snakes could look at it and be healed rather than die, it's that it's a rich symbol of the fact that, that sometimes in the way that God works, those things which are intended for judgment, those things which are a symbol of judgment can be transformed into a source of healing if we trust God. I'll say that again, that those things which are a source of judgment can be transformed into a source of healing when we trust in God. And isn't that exactly how John is using this symbol because he speaks uh, in a way, uh, I mean, throughout his gospel, that is, that is very symbolic. Uh, that's one of the things that people observe about John's gospel and the writing in it. But he says this, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And when uh, you analyse the the language there around lifted up it's serving two purposes this is how it's symbolic one it's connected to this story of of the snakes um and the snake that moses lifted up but it also is a picture of christ on the cross so john is saying the son of man will be lifted up and uh, there's something very physical about that when we think about this ultimate moment in Jesus' ministry where he is lifted up 
on the cross. And at the same time, that lifted up is inferring the exaltation of Jesus. And uh, that's something that we've already looked at a little bit in the last couple of weeks that uh, you might remember my sermon from Mark 9.1 where Jesus says to his disciples, I tell you, some of you will not taste death until you see the kingdom of God come in power. The kingdom of God coming in power that Jesus references there is, is his death, actually. And so the Christian tradition uh, reads the scriptures and the way that they point to this event, Jesus' crucifixion, as at the same moment being his exaltation and his exaltation as the king of the kingdom of God. So we would look upon something intended for judgment, the cross, and it would be a source of life for us. I wonder if we would read those famous verses, John 3.16 and beyond, a little differently if we kept that picture in mind when we think about God's love for the world, that we see that in the fact that the king of the universe, the creator of the universe, is enthroned, is exalted at the same time as he is taking a judgment that was intended for the world. I think about the way that John's original audience would have heard these words for them the cross as a, as a symbol of, of Rome's oppression, of ultimate shame, of terrible suffering, of death. I wonder if, you know, in their hearts, they might not have wished to have seen their enemies, Rome, uh, up on the cross that Rome was using to crucify so many of their Jewish brothers. Perhaps... Um, some of them would have looked upon the suffering and death of, of so many Jewish uh, resistors to the Roman Empire hung up there on a cross and seen it as some sort of judgment from God for them. Last week I spoke about the way that actually um, in Israel's history, when, when, when they fell to oppressors, when the temple uh, was destroyed, it was... God's judgment upon them that happened to be coming through a foreign power. So perhaps it's possible that whilst some looked upon the cross as a place where they would like to see their enemies suffer and die, others would look upon the cross and see themselves actually as worthy of judgment, of somehow being punished by God through the Roman Empire through their suffering. But God does something extraordinary here. By loving the world so much that he would send his one and only son, not to condemn the, condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God is taking again 
symbol of judgment and offering it as a transformed picture of salvation should those who would look upon it accept the truth of what God was doing there and depend on him for their healing, for life, for salvation. This is the challenge, I believe, for us, that as we read these famous words about God's salvation, about God's love for the world, challenging words, radical words, that um, he came into the world to save it, not condemn it, that we would keep this image in our minds of the exaltation of the king of God's kingdom and of the suffering of his son that's happening in one and the same moment. As we prepare for Easter, we're to gaze again upon the cross and accept the challenge of it, that God is taking this symbol of judgment and is transforming it into a symbol of healing and of life. And in our hearts, we may be like those first hearers of this gospel. We may desire that our enemies uh, be up there on the cross. We may desire punishment, suffering, judgment on our enemies. Or perhaps we are aware that, that, that we in some ways are deserving of that rather than wanting to see our enemies lifted up on a cross. Perhaps we believe that we are worthy of being up there somehow, that we're aware of the shortcomings of our life, the, 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 the way that we've hurt others, the damage that we cause in the world, and, and we recognise that justice would have us up there on the cross. But no, John reminds us here that our hope, the hope of healing, the hope of eternal life, the very light that would come into the world and pierce the darkness, is the fact that Jesus went to the cross for us, that he was willing because of his great love for us, because of the Father's great love for us, to take a punishment that would be appropriate for so many of us, that might have been intended for so many of us, takes it upon himself for us. I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to pray for us. Lord, I pray that we would keep in mind uh, exactly what you were doing on the cross, that you uh, loved us so much. And in fact, you loved our enemies so much that you're willing to go there in our place as we prepare our hearts for Easter, Lord. May we, may we look up to see you exalted in that place. May we accept this amazing mystery that God in his great love, transform those things which were intended for our judgment 
into the very substance of our salvation. We look to you, Jesus. Thank you. Amen. I'll uh, see you later, Cornerstone.